So I want to tell you a story this morning. And for the story, we're going to go back to 2010. All right, so this was a year before I got married. Um, and at that time, I spent most of my time hanging out with kind of this one group of friends. Most of us grew up, to, grew up with each other. We knew each other for a long time. And one of the things we really liked to do together was we liked to make bets on things. Now, we didn't really us any money. It's not like we bet on anything big, but we just kind of would throw around little bets here and there to see who would accept what. Like, for example, every year the Super Bowl, we'd all watch it together, and the whole time there'd just be little bets here and there flying around. Like, one we'd always do every year is we'd bet on what the first commercial would be after the kickoff. And this is what I still do to this day. And if you're wondering this year, if you would have bet on it, the winning answer would have been Hyundai, which clearly nobody won this year. <laughs> um, but that's just what we did. So back in 2010, this is, it was around this time of year, a little bit earlier in the year, it was around the time that the Stanley Cup, the hockey, the NHL playoffs were getting started. And I know if you're a Hurricanes fan, I, I know this is a sore subject, so I apologize. <laughs> um, but I'm from Michigan. It's where I lived at the time, and hockey's real big. So we decided to come up with this bet where we'd all pick a team that we thought would go all the way, that we thought would win the cup. And then the first two teams to get knocked out, the losers, the ones who had those teams, would have to get that team's logo tattooed on them. Yeah, stupid, all right? And you're probably thinking, like, you probably had more foresight than to agree to something stupid like that. Well, I did not. So we, we, we'd make this bet, and then it comes to picking what team you're going to uh, bet on. And you want to pick someone that you think will go all the way, but on the flip side, you don't want to pick someone that if they happen to lose and happen to get knocked out, you're going to regret for the rest of your life having their tattoo on you, more so than you'd regret it anyways. Um, so after careful consideration, I decided to go with the Vancouver Canucks. They're a team I always liked. They are pretty good that year. And long story short, you can probably figure out what happened, or else there wouldn't be a story for me to tell. <laughs> First round, not even, not even close. The Canucks get knocked out, and I lose. So I do what I said I would do. I go, and I get my tattoo. And to this day, it's living right here on the inside of my arm, and, uh, which is why I wore long sleeves today, so you can't see it. Um, but I lost. I do what I said I would do, and that's that. So you're probably thinking at this part of the story, one of, one of two things. You're either thinking, Brian, why in the world are you telling me this? What does this have to do with anything? Or you're thinking, okay, I get it. This is going to be a message on regret, <laughs> about <laughs> regretting a stupid decision. Well, this is not a message on regret, first off, and I'm offended that you all thought that because my, my Canucks tattoo is sweet, and I don't regret it for a second. But no, you, you may remember at the beginning of the story, I said that the deal was the first two people to get knocked out had to get their tattoo. So I get knocked out first. I go. I do what I said I would do. I get my tattoo like a man. And then my buddy gets knocked out next. He bet on the San Jose Sharks. And here we are nine years later, no shark tattoo. No shark tattoo. And so I got to tell you, I was mad for a while. Like, I, I literally scarred my body. Like, I, I disfigured myself. I made a decision that I got to explain to my kids and my grandkids why I did this over a stupid bet. And then you just back out. I was mad. And this, this, so this is not a message on regret. This is a message on holding a grudge. Because clearly I still have not gotten over this. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, in reality, actually, I wasn't really that mad about it because I really liked my tattoo, but I couldn't let him know that. I wanted him to feel bad about this. Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about today. That's obviously a joking example, but today we're talking about grudges, and we're talking about not just grudges, but when we're presented with an opportunity to hold a grudge, how, we, how can we respond? Can we either respond by holding that grudge or if there's a way we can respond differently? Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm on staff here at New City. And what we're doing today is we're wrapping up this series that we've called Life Over Death. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been taking our bottom line or our main point from Easter Sunday and kind of digging a little further into it every week and seeing how we can apply it to different parts of our lives. And, and the main point from Easter Sunday was this. It was that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, 
but he came to make dead people live. So we've been taking and seeing how we can apply that to different areas in our life. We start off by looking at um, how we can experience freedom over fear. And then we talked about um, showing love over lust. And then last week, Dylan talked about progress over perfection. And today we're going to be talking about this idea of grace over grudges. And for us to do that, I think we need to start off by talking about what a grudge actually is. Because a grudge isn't just being mad at somebody, right? A grudge is something that you, that you hold down deep down. It's something that kind of burns inside of you. And it's something that you hold down for a long time. And that most of the time, it affects you way more than it affects the subject of your grudge. See, you, you may be sitting here today kind of thinking that where you are in life, you kind of thought life would have gone a little differently than where you're at today. You know, for example, you might be thinking like, you know, at this point in my life, I really thought I would be married. Or maybe you are married, but you thought maybe, I thought my marriage would look a little different. Or, or I thought I would have kids by this point, or I thought I would be more successful, or I just thought life would be different than it is. But then we see people that have this life that, not, not a life necessarily that we want, but a life that we thought we would have, and you start to build this resentment against them. And every time you see them, they just kind of get this little pain inside of you, and you start just to kind of harbor this anger towards them. And in reality, they have no idea why you're mad at them. or they, Most of the time, they don't even know that you're mad. They just think everything's fine. But you experience this pain over something that they did nothing, did nothing to you. Or maybe on the flip side, you're dealing with something that someone actually did do something to you, and someone actually did do something to hurt you. And you've held on to this pain for a long time, and maybe they knew they hurt you, maybe they don't, but they probably don't know that it's affected you as long as it actually has. And so this is what I want us to realize right off the bat this morning. And this is this is kind of the first point I want to make. And a, a phrase is going to come up on the screen, and you're going to see this, and you're going to say, no, duh. Like, this is something we all know. It's something that we tell our kids. It's something that we know to be true. But when it happens to us, we act blindsided by it. And this is the first thing I want us to realize, and that's that life is not fair. Life's not fair. No kidding, I know. But at the end of the day, when life's not fair to us, then we act surprised. But you know what? Life's not fair in a number of ways. Life's not fair, uh, for example, geographically. Like I mentioned, I'm from Michigan, and I remember getting to this point in the year where it's May, almost June, and just thinking, like, when is winter going to be over? All right? I'm done. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But it, it, going through spring, it's cold, and it's gray, and it's rainy, and I remember having family in North Carolina and thinking, this isn't fair. I want to be down there. It's sunny down there. I got to deal with this cold. It's not fair. But now we've lived in North Carolina a few years. If, if you've lived here a long time, you kind of know how this works. In the spring, it looks like it's nice outside, and then you walk out, and you're enveloped with this yellow cloud of pollen that just swallows your face. And if you're an allergy person like me, now I'm sitting here down here in spring saying, yeah, it looks nice outside, but every time I walk outside, I wish I was dead. Like, I can't, I can't breathe. I'd rather be in the cold than deal with this. This isn't fair. But if we're being honest, there are people that, and we all know this, that are born into situations that are far less fair than anything we could imagine. There are people that are born into situations that we would look at from an outsider's perspective and say, man, they don't, they don't even have a chance. They don't have a chance in life. That's not fair. Life's not fair physically. You may not believe me when I say this, but there was a time where I had the most beautiful, long head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for laughing. That's not a joke. It was, it was awesome. But, but here I am. I'm 30, and I got nothing. <laughs> My dad is in his 60s, still has hair. Me and my brother, nothing. Nothing. It's not fair. It's not fair. Life's not fair relationally. You know, you may be, you may be sitting here in the middle of a relationship or a marriage, and you're dealing with some sort of abuse from a, from a spouse or from a significant other. And whether that's physical abuse or emotional abuse, you might be sitting here saying, man, I didn't, 
I didn't agree to this. This isn't what I thought it would be. Or maybe you didn't see any of the classic warning signs, the classic red flags that people talk about. And now you're sitting here in the middle of this relationship saying, I, I don't even know how I got here. I don't think I did anything to, the, to deserve this. This isn't fair. Or on the flip side, maybe you experienced something like that from a parent. From a parent, the person that you were supposed to be able to trust more than anybody, but you dealt with this abuse from them, and it's something that's affected you your entire life. And all you can think about is, I was, I was just a kid. I was just a kid. That's not fair. I didn't deserve that. I don't deserve to have my entire life essentially ruined because of something that happened to me when I was a kid. It's not fair. You know, my wife and I are foster parents, and the most recent boy we had in our home, I remember at one point him crying to us, and just all I kept saying is, this isn't fair. This is not fair that I'm in foster care. It's not fair. And I remember Brittany, my wife, and I, us, us looking at each other and looking at him, and we were just like, we, had, we were at a loss of what to say. And all we could say is, you're right. It's not fair. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not fair. Life's not fair. And so today we're going to look at an example of how unfair life can be. And more than that, not just how unfair life can be, but when life is unfair, how we can respond, how we can either respond by holding a grudge and by holding anger, or how we can respond by showing grace. So if you would open your Bibles with me this morning, if you, if you don't have one with you, there's a black one in one of the seat backs in front of you. And hey, if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that black one home as our gift to you today. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at a story that if you, if you grew up in church, if you went to church at, as, at a young age in Sunday school and things like that, you've probably heard this story before. But we're going to hopefully look at it through a little bit of a different lens. And we're going to be looking at the story of a guy named Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph is kind of long, so what we're going to do is we're going to sort of touch on the beginning of it and sort of touch on the end of it and see what we can glean from it. But what's going on up until this point is Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers, so he's the second youngest, and he's the favorite. He's the favorite. Everybody knows it. His brothers kind of hate him for it. But right before we pick up here, um, kind of the thing he's most known for, he was given this, this colorful robe or this colorful coat that signified his favoritism. He was given it, to him, or he was given it uh, from his father. And so right here, when we pick up in verse 18, his father sent him out to go and get his brothers. And so he's, he's going, and he's coming up to them, and they see him coming in the distance, and they're sort of talking among themselves, and this is what they say. It says in verse 18, it says, They, they being the brothers, saw him, saw Joseph in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. There you go. That's how much they hated him. Now, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. I have two older sisters and an older brother. And be, being the youngest, everyone sort of hates you, Right? It's, there's this stereotype that the youngest has it the easiest, that mom and dad go easy on the youngest. But in reality, that might be true, but in reality, your siblings kind of hate you all growing up. So I, I, I kind of feel what he's coming from, but I don't think at any point my siblings ever literally plotted to kill me, <laughs> I think. So it says in verse, eight, or verse 19, it says, they, they said to one another, oh, look, here comes the dream expert. And what they're talking about here is Joseph had, had some dreams that he sort of interpreted for his family. One of those dreams, he dreamt that the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed to him. And if you kind of put it together, 11 stars, there's 11 brothers, you can kind of see why they might get a little mad at this, or this uh, interpretation. Now, if I was Joseph, if I was Joseph, and this happened to me, if I had 11 brothers and I dreamed that 11 stars were bowing to me, waking up that morning would have been like Christmas morning. It would have been the greatest moment of my life. I'd imagine running downstairs, sitting down at the breakfast table with all of my brothers and my mom and dad, and I'd just be sitting there thinking, like, somebody asked me how I slept. <laughs> somebody asked me what, my, what I dreamed about. And I imagine my mom asking me and <laughs> asking how I slept, and I'd just be like, let me tell you. I had this dream. 
I had this dream. I dreamt that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed to me, and I know I'm no dream expert, but 11 stars, there's 11 of you. <laughs> I think God's saying you're going to bow to me one day. Now, in reality, he probably said it with a little more tact than that, but you can kind of see why they started to dislike him a little bit. So in verse 20, it says, is they're, they're talking, they say, so now, come on, let's, let's kill him and throw him in one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Reuben, the oldest brother, when Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, don't shed blood. Let's throw him in this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. So we got one level-headed brother. He's saying, let's, just, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit to die, but he's planning to come back and rescue him later. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. They took, him, they took him and threw him in the pit, and the pit was empty without water. And this next sentence is my favorite sentence in the entire passage. It says, then they sat down to eat a meal. And I don't want to read too much into things, but I think this just signifies how much they didn't care about him. Because imagine he comes, they beat him up, they take his robe, they throw him in a pit to die. And then I imagine them all just kind of standing around the pit and are you guys hungry? <laughs> like, what do we do now? Let's just go eat. And so it says they, uh, they sat down to eat a meal, and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. So Judah, another brother, said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? I mean, Joseph will be gone, but I feel like we should you know, get a little something, something out of this. So what do we gain if we kill him and cover up his blood? So come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers agreed. And when the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. And if we keep reading, we see that um, next they, they take his robe, they tear it up, they dip it in goat's blood, and they take it to their father and say, it looks like an animal got Joseph. It looks like Joseph's dead because an animal got him. And, and this is what I think we need to know this morning from, from this passage. This is the first thing I think we need to know, and that's this is that grudges will infect every area of your life. Grudges will infect every area of your life. They won't just affect your life. They'll, they'll dig in. They'll seep down. They'll infect every area of your life. Now, we're not giving a ton of backstory to Joseph and his brothers, but more than likely, what happened with them is probably the same thing that happens with most grudges that we hold. Is that Maybe it started off by them being annoyed with him or frustrated with him or mad at him. But then they let it build up, and they fed off each other, and they didn't address it. And ultimately what happened is their, their unaddressed grudge took them from probably just anger all the way to literal murder, all the way to literal murder of their own brother, and then deciding not to murder him, but instead to do the nice thing and just to sell him as a slave. See, an unaddressed grudge took them from jealousy to murder. I love this quote by an author. Her name is Anne Lamont. She says this. She says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison, but then waiting for the rat to die. And I think that's, that's what happens a lot with us. We hold on to this grudge, and, and we're, we're mad at somebody, but we let it affect us so much more than it affects them. Now, you may hear me say that, and then you think back to the story we just read, and you might think, that, that actually doesn't sound right. Sure, his brothers have to live with some guilt, maybe, but Joseph was sold as a slave. Clearly, it affected him way more than it affected them. And what I'd say to that is, at least at this point in the story, that, that seems to be true, at least physically. But I would say that spiritually, I don't think that's true. And the reason for that, I think we see if we look in the New Testament, and you don't need to turn there, this will be up on the screen in, in 1 John 4.20. It says this, he says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen 
can't love God who he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. See, this is a verse, this, these couple of verses are verses that I've spent, honestly, a large portion of my life trying to contradict. And what I mean by that is, when, when I was younger, for a large portion of my life, even into my young adult life, I, I was not a person who loved. I was a person who was angry most of the time, who was bitter towards people, who held on to grudges, who held on to resentment towards not a person or not a single situation, but just towards pretty much everybody. And that's just the way I live my life. I got, I got to the point where I had sort of just resigned to the fact that, you know what, I'm just going to sort of hate everybody. And that's where I was. And so I grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian school, in, a, in church. And if you would have asked me at any point in my life, I would have said, yes, I love God. But if I believe that verse to be true, then that statement would not be true. So you can't, you can't love God. You can't claim to be a loving person. You can't love God while hating other people. You see, I can vouch firsthand that a grudge, that resentment that you don't address, that you just let build inside of you, that it will infect every area of your life. And so why do we need to know that this morning? Why do we need to know this? And I think this is the reason. It's because grudges will destroy you. Simple as that, a grudge will destroy you. <clears throat> it's not a can, it's not a may, but it's a will. A grudge will destroy you. You can't be a loving person while hating somebody. If, if you'll turn with me, we're going to jump back into the story of Joseph, and we're going to kind of fast forward to the end and see how this turns out. So we're going to turn a few pages over to chapter 50, right at the end of the book of Genesis. And what sort of happened in between here is Joseph is sold as a slave in Egypt. So he goes off to Egypt. He, he gets put in prison at one point, but God has grace on him, and he's, he's able to interpret some dreams and predict that a, this famine is coming. And because he predicts this famine is coming, he's the one who's put in charge of gathering and storing all the food for the coming famine. So once this famine is here and affecting all of Egypt, he's the one who's in charge of deciding who gets what food. So people come to him, he decides if they get food, if, how much they get, and things like that. So he's, in effect, in charge of who lives and who dies. So he's become this powerful person. And where we pick up here in verse 15, right before this, their father, Jacob, has just passed away. So we pick it up in verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead... They said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he'll certainly repay us for the suffering we caused him. So they're thinking, now that dad's dead, the only reason Joseph hasn't gotten us back, he's in this position of power. The only reason he hasn't gotten us back is because dad's been here. He's been protecting us. But now that he's gone, Joseph's going to let loose. He's going to give us what we deserve. So they came up with this plan, and this plan, which I think is hilarious. It says, so they sent this message to Joseph, and this is what, this is what they said. They said, before he died, your father gave a command. So basically what they're saying is, Dad passed away, we were going through his stuff, and we looked in one of his drawers, and we found a, a note It said, to Joseph. Um, I, I know it looks like my handwriting, but it was Dad's, all right? So let me read it for you. This is what Dad said. He said, say this to Joseph. Please forgive your, father, your, your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. So therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. So they're, they're basically saying... Um, we found this note from dad. It said, you have to forgive us. And dad's dead. So you, you kind of have to forgive us now. But then they even take it a step further. And it says, and his brothers, all, or Joseph wept when he, the message came to him. And it said in verse 18, it says, his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. So this is how far their, their grudge took them. It took them to do something so bad that they knew they couldn't just say, I'm sorry. They couldn't apologize and expect forgiveness. But they had to manufacture this letter from their father, and then actually go and bow down before him and say, we'll be your slaves if you'll forgive us. 
But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about this present result, the survival of many people. So therefore, don't be afraid. I'll take care of, I'll take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And, and this is what I think we need to do with all this today. I think we need to do what Joseph is doing here. And it's something that's so simple, but it's so hard to do in reality. And that's this. This is what we need to do this morning. We need to show grace. It's as simple as that. And, and you see that and you think, well, obviously, but it's so hard to do in reality. See, Joseph's brothers went to him hoping for forgiveness, but they were shown grace. See, this story would have, been, would have still been an incredible story if his brothers went to him and did all these things, apologized, bowed before him, and he said, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm not mad. You guys, you know, I, I forgive you. Now you guys go your way. I'll go mine. We don't need, I don't think it's healthy for us to have contact, but I let it go. Let's just go our separate ways and, and not communicate anymore. If that was all Joseph did, this would have still been an incredible story. And he still would have been doing something that most of us couldn't do. But he didn't just stop at forgiving them. He took it a step further and he showed grace. He took it a step further and said, no, I'll, I'll forgive you, but then I'll also take care of you. I'll take care of your family. I'll take care of your kids. I'll show grace. I'll give you something that you don't deserve. See, Joseph didn't, for, didn't just forgive them, but he showed grace. Um, about five years ago, um, <clears throat> back when we lived in Michigan, my wife and I, we, we took in a family member to come and live with us. He's a younger family member, and he was 17 at the time. He was kind of going through a tough time just in, in life and not going down the greatest path. And so uh, got into some trouble. He needed a place to stay, so we invited him to come live with us for a little bit, and he ended up staying with us for a couple years. And, and it was good. It was good for the most part. We helped him get his license and get a job and things like that, and things were fine. But I remember one night we got a call, not from him, uh, but from his older brother, calling us and telling us, hey, I just want to let you know he just got in a car accident. And we had let him borrow our car. He was out um, with his friends. So he just got in a car accident. He said, everyone's fine. Nobody's hurt. The car is damaged, but it, it can still be driven and things like that. And the, the details don't really matter, but long story short, it was his fault. So I remember we asked him, we're like, why are you calling us? Why isn't he calling us? He said, well, if I'm being honest, he's afraid to tell you. And so, you know, we just said, just, just send him home and we'll talk to him when he gets here. So I remember us waiting for him to get home and, and Brittany and I talking to each other and we're just like, we're just like, I don't even know what, I'm ready to rip his head off when he gets in the door, if I'm being honest. Like he, we're, we're, all these thoughts are going through our head. Like, look, we gave you a place to stay. We got you your license. Like we, we're letting you borrow our car. We're doing these things and this is how you pay us. Like, we're 25 at the time. Like, we don't have money to fix this car. And all this frustration is going through our heads, and we're ready to jump down his throat when he walks in. But what happened is he walked in the door crying, and I remember we decided to go a different route with it. We just gave him a hug when he walked in. And we said, you know what? It's fine. It's not a big deal. It's just a car. We'll figure it out. And the only thing that matters is that you're okay, and, and you are, so that's, that's the only thing that's important right now. And I know it was an accident, so that's that. We, we gave him a hug, and we just let it go. And, and I share that story for a couple reasons. First off is because I believe at that moment, I believe that was a turning point in our relationship with him. I think, we, I think he came home, he came home in tears, and I think he came home expecting to get what he deserved. And what he deserved, honestly, was some sort of punishment, us to maybe take the car away from him, or maybe even us to go as far as kicking him out, I don't know. But he, he expected to get what he deserved, but instead he was shown grace. And the second reason I share that is, because, is not to say, look at what we did. It's not to say, look at, look at when we showed grace, we did this because we're so good, so you can do this too. But I'm sharing that to say that I've gotten this wrong in my life 
a thousand times. I've spent years holding on to bitterness and resentment towards everybody. I've gotten this wrong so many times. So I'm sharing this story to say, it doesn't matter how many times you've got this wrong before. What matters is what we do with it right now. It doesn't matter how many times you've held on to grudges or how long you've held on to a grudge for and you're thinking it's too late for me to let go of it. It doesn't matter what happened before. What matters is that we show grace now, that we show grace in the moment. So no matter how we feel in the moment, we need to show grace. Forgiveness is great. Don't get me wrong, forgiveness is great. And we can point to tons of Bible verses that say you need to forgive. So I'm not trying to downplay that. But God's asking us to take a step further, to not just stop at forgiving, but to take care of those that have wronged us. To not just stop at forgiving, but to show grace. So why do we need to do this this morning? Why do we need to show grace? Why is it important for us? And I think this is the reason. It's because we've been shown the ultimate grace. See, we've been shown the ultimate grace. Now, I don't want to downplay the idea of grudges here. I don't want to come across as if I'm saying, uh, just, just show grace, just let go of your grudge, it's not a big deal, it should be super easy for you to do. Because you might be sitting here thinking, hey, this all sounds great. I know I'm supposed to, to show grace, but Brian, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know about this, this grudge. You don't know about the, the reason I've been holding on to this my entire life. And I get grace is good and, and we're supposed to forgive, but I can't even think about showing grace. I can't even think about forgiving because at the end of the day, I don't think they deserve to be forgiven. And, and I want to be super clear on this. If, that's thought, if that thought's going through your mind, if you're thinking someone wronged me and I don't think they deserve for me to forgive them, I want to be clear on this when I tell you that you're right. You're 100% right. If you're thinking someone did something to you and they don't deserve to be forgiven, you are absolutely right. But at the end of the day, we don't deserve to be forgiven either. At the end of the day, we don't deserve to be forgiven either. At the end of the day, we've let God down. We've, we've betrayed, we've turned our back on him more times than people will ever turn our back on us. And we've been shown the ultimate grace. See, I love what it says in Ephesians. This will be up on the screen. It says this in Ephesians 2.8. It says, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. So we're saved based on God's gift, not because we've made ourselves better people or because we've gotten past all of our issues and then God will accept us. We're saved based solely on his grace, not on anything that we do. And that brings us to our main point this morning, and this is kind of the point I want us to leave with today, and that's this. It's that grace, grace doesn't make us good. Grace doesn't make us a better person. Grace doesn't make us good, but it makes us alive. See, grace doesn't make us good, but it gives us life. It makes us live. See, grace doesn't mean that God will love us when. That God will love me when I get my life together or when I fix my marriage or when I get past this addiction or when this happens. Grace just, mean that, grace just means that God loves you, period. End of sentence, end of story. That God's love for you is unconditional and not based on anything that we do. See, our circumstances and situations don't dictate God's love, but grace does. I think it's so easy, and I've thought this before, it's so easy for us to think that God will forgive me, that God will show grace once I get past the issues I'm dealing with. See, once I'm, I'm dealing with these things in my life and these sin issues maybe or these, these struggles I have, but once I get past them, then I can look back and say, okay, now I'm past it, God, I apologize, and then he'll show grace. But when we're in the thick of it, when we're in the middle of it and dealing with it every day, we don't think that God has grace in that moment. We think that, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I think I'm just letting you down. I'm just letting you down over and over. And you can't have grace right now. I know you need to wait for me to finish to have grace on me. But in reality, God isn't sitting there and saying, I'll love you when. He's saying, I have grace on you now. I had grace on you yesterday. I know you think you've gotten through this issue, 
but I know you're going to screw it up next week, and I still have grace on you no matter what. See, grace doesn't make us good. Grace doesn't make us a better person, but grace gives us life. See, God sent his son. God sent Jesus. He sent his, his literal son to the earth to die a literal death, knowing what was coming, knowing what was coming. In other words, I don't know if you've thought this before, but I've, I've thought this so many times in my life. I've thought, God, I've, I've read this. I've read the Bible. I know what it says in here. I know you say you forgive. I know you say you have grace. I know you sent your son for all of humanity. But when you said these things, when you did that, I don't think you knew I was coming. I don't think you knew how much I would mess things up. I don't think you knew how much I would let you down over and over and over again. But in reality, God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not sitting there saying, oh, I, I shouldn't have said these things because I wasn't expecting you to come. But he's sitting there saying, no, I, I, I knew you were coming. I knew about you before you were born. And I knew how much you'd mess things up, but I have grace regardless. See, God has grace on me and on you and on the worst among us. See, grace doesn't make us good, but it makes us alive. So for those of us that have accepted God's grace, for those of us that have accepted God's grace, I think it's our responsibility to show that grace to others. See, whether, you're, whether, you're, um, whether you've been in church for a long time or this whole Christianity, or this whole church thing is new to you or you don't even really know what we're talking about yet, we all know that we're messed up people. We all know that we mess up on a daily basis. So we know that we need forgiveness. See, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. But at the end of the day, neither is God's grace. Neither is God's grace. And if we're being honest, we don't want fair. We say we want life to be fair. We say we wish God was fair. But if we're being honest, we don't want fair from God because fair isn't grace. Fair isn't life. And so as, as we're going about our lives, let's remember that grace that God has shown on us, that grace that God has given to us without asking anything in return. And when we do that, I hope that we can, when, when we're dealing with these grudges, these, these things that we've held on to for our, maybe our whole lives, then we start to think back to the story of Joseph and start to more so think back to Jesus and think back to God and think of how much, how much not to be too heavy, but not, how much we've let him down and how much he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know you're going to keep doing it, but I'm going to show grace. And I pray and I hope that we're able to take some of that grace not the same grace. I know we can't. We're not God. We can't do the same thing God has, but take a little bit of that grace and show it to others. Will you pray with me this morning?